This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to Beyond Politics, broadcast on WKXL, available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Matt Robeson, and you can find all of our shows at beyondpoliticspodcast.com. And if you're listening to us on a pod, please just take a moment and hit that subscribe button and leave us a rating and review. Again, whatever platform you're getting your podcasts on, it really helps us out. Today, Amazon and Amazon Prime and the many ways, both obvious and unseen, that Amazon has wormed its way into everything we do. Nowadays, for many of us, Amazon is just a part of our daily lives, what we buy, what we watch, and what we say. Much of it runs through Amazon's computers and marketplaces. And from there, of course, it's incorporated into Amazon's algorithms, its data, its artificial intelligence. In that way, in a very real way, Amazon is inside our brains and the footprint of our lives is on Amazon servers. So what does all that mean? How much control does Amazon really have over the American economy and over the choices that we make individually? And is it time to take some more aggressive action to place some limits on an entity that really has no precedent in human history? Our guest today is Dr. Emily West, an associate professor of communication at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. She's the co-editor of the Rutledge Companion to Advertising and Promotional Culture and the author of the forthcoming book, by now, how Amazon branded convenience and normalized monopoly. And in the very definition of irony, that book is available to pre-order on Amazon. Dr. West, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Delightful to have you. And as you and I were chatting before the show about this is such a rich topic. It goes in so many directions. I, I almost don't know where to start. I feel like a lion contemplating a herd of zebra and only seeing stripes. Maybe we can just sort of set the scene for ourselves mentally. I think at this point, we're all aware of Amazon. Some people may still be thinking about it as mostly an online marketplace for, for books or you know for stuff. It is so, so much more at this point. So could you maybe walk us through some of that growth, some of that, some of that narrative of of how we got to where we are with Amazon and and how it grew into touching so many lines of business, and really without getting a lot of attention or scrutiny from the public or regulators. Absolutely, yeah, and I, I think sometimes a good place to start is also with our own relationships with Amazon. You know, you we you may have just started as buying books on Amazon and thinking, oh, this is a good place, you know, to get an obscure book or to get a book quickly. But you'll probably think now and realize, oh, actually, you know, I'm watching Prime Video or I have an Echo smart speaker and I talk to Alexa. And perhaps via Alexa, you listen to Amazon Music. Some of us have Ring doorbells. You know, that's a, a company that Amazon purchased. Some of us shop at Whole Foods Market, which was an Amazon acquisition. If you're a Prime member, which was a, a program they started in the mid-2000s, there's a lot of services that are bundled within that, whether or not you're using them. And then beyond that, Amazon provides one of the uh, major infrastructures for 
you know, the, the digital economy through Amazon web services. So they're the, there's the sort of market originator and market leader of cloud services, software as a service is sometimes known as. So a lot of internet entities that you might be interacting with or apps may actually be getting their, you know, their network cloud power, their databases um, from Amazon itself. So, Even our yeah. own Department of Defense up until they, right. they canceled the larger contract. But the point is, they're still, Amazon is still sort of the, no pun intended, the prime source potentially of cloud computing for our own U.S. Department of Defense. Absolutely. Yeah. So major corporations, you know, even competitors, a lot of Amazon, uh, Amazon's own competitors like, like Netflix use Amazon Web Services. And actually, I think breaking news, the Jedi contract that Amazon lost to Microsoft and then was in court pursuing, now they've dropped it and they've come up with a new acronym and they're going to be, you know, asking for new bids. So that story actually is not even yet done. Yeah, I defy I mean, I the Department of Defense to name the new something. The, the new contract <laughs> has to acronym to Sith. That's, that's my, only, <laughs> my only bid on this. So it's, it's, it's touching everything. I mean, it, it, did this just kind of creep up on this on us or 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 did it what was it sort of in chunks did, have people been paying attention to this i think that now in recent years people are starting to pay attention but i will say that when i started working on this book a few years ago i felt like uh, Amazon was getting to uh, go under the radar in a way that, say, Google and Facebook were not. So I think it was more obvious to people that a platform like Facebook, where people, you know, connect with others, where they're getting so much more of their information, all of a sudden people are getting news and sometimes very unreliable news or being exposed to advertising and we don't know what advertising they're seeing. You know, that all became very obvious why the, the size and the reach of a platform like Facebook was important. So I think Amazon got, you know, flew under the radar in terms of our attention and our scrutiny for a long time for a couple of reasons. I mean, one is that it is primarily associated with shopping and we don't necessarily take shopping so seriously, think it's as important as something like um, news or, or daily social interaction. But actually, you know, it's tremendously um, important. It's, you know, reshaping our communities, whether we shop in person or whether we do online shopping. It's configuring opportunities, winners and losers among, you know, product creators and manufacturers. It's, you know, shaping communities in terms of and employment in terms of fulfillment centers and, you know, delivery hubs and things of that nature. And we do get a lot of information through things that we buy. So, you know, through, you know, books and what books become available or come up high in search on Amazon, as well as through, you know, video and things that, that trend on Prime Video and things of that nature. So I, I think underplaying the importance of retail has been part of why it's gone under the radar. Another, I think, is though, because of the nature of how Amazon as a brand works and its relationship with us. If you think about the, say, the dominant brands of maybe the 20th or the late 20th century, like the, the Nikes and the Coca-Colas and the McDonald's, you know, they're so in your face and like they have a mascot or, a, you know, a, a catchy tagline and, and they sort of tell a very particular type of story about, you know, who you can be or what you can connect with if you consume that brand. But Amazon is a, is a different kind of brand. It's, it's, it seeks to be with us every day. It seeks to be part of the environment, to almost literally fade into the woodwork, you know, to become 
you know, I like to think of it as the giant in our living room, right? Like there, you know, there's that Echo smart speaker in your living room and it's, it's actually designed not to be super noticeable. It's designed to be part of the furniture, even though it means now you're going to have this very immersive and even intimate relationship with, with this brand. Something literally listening at all times to everything that you do. That actually, it's a good segue to a point you were raising a moment ago about some of the scrutiny that businesses like Facebook and Google have come under, which I think is because of the nature of the way they treat people's personal data. Facebook came under scrutiny, I'd say from a regulatory standpoint, the, the, the biggest break in, in the look at Facebook was the Cambridge Analytica scandal, where there was this breach of, of so much personal data. And similarly, there's been a lot of reporting about Google and Chrome and its browsers and the ways that it's leveraging people's personal data. It is, as you say, sort of a different story when it comes to Amazon. And yet it's in many ways, our shopping preferences are more revealing. I, I was just on the Great Ideas show yesterday. I was just raising this core concept in economics of revealed preference. It says a lot more about people, what they actually buy, where they put their money than what they say they're interested in. I'd find out a lot more about Matt Robeson by looking at my prime purchasing patterns than I would by looking at my Google search or my Facebook comments or whatever else I do. So what is the significance of Amazon's platform businesses, Alexa that you were just alluding to a moment ago that literally sits in our living rooms and listens in on every moment of our lives and, and the way that Amazon collects data and, and how it leverages that data. Absolutely, you know, a former executive at Amazon said the data is the business model. You know, you think of Amazon as, oh, it's online shopping, it's e-commerce, or maybe it's streaming, you know, a particular product or service that you, that you interact with Amazon for, but it's, you know, it's the fact that it's a platform business and a multi-platform business, you know, it, it's providing, you know, being an intermediary for customers and various advertisers or sellers in multiple different ways means that it collects so many different types of data in one place. And, you know, I think an interesting thing to consider in terms of Amazon is that it's not going to just sell your data to someone. Maybe that's the thing that worries people. Oh, I don't want them to sell my data, but it sells a lot of products and services on the basis of that data. So it'll sell advertising targeted to you on the basis of the data that it collects. And absolutely, you know, it, you know, think about its Whole Foods um, acquisition, for example, like that was a way to say, okay, we have all this online shopping data, but you know, Grocery data is really important too. And that's something we're kind of missing out on. And now at least for Whole Foods shoppers, you know, it can add that to its, its store of um, data. So this is why, you know, just a couple of years ago, you might've said, oh, digital advertising, that's a duopoly. Like Google and Facebook own that. Amazon is really coming up fast now. And it's, you know, it's got unique types of data that those other platforms don't, as you say, the actual purchases that people made. And it's become what um, some folks have called the default online product search engine. You know, you think of Google in terms of search. Yeah, people do tons of searching on Google. But I think the, the latest stat from, a, you know, an industry observer source is that about three quarters of product searches now start on Amazon. 
Wow. So now Amazon is the place where you're going to get the most valuable product search information, but they hold on to that data and then they only sell it to other, you know, parties or even to you know, third parties that sell on its platform for a pretty steep price in terms of a specific kind of search product or, you know, way of targeting people on the basis of that data, not getting the data itself. I mean, it's really it's sort of mind-boggling the amount of information that they have and that they could potentially correlate together and put together in interesting ways. I mean, they know, what have you looked for before you made a purchase? How long? What did you consider? Are there ways to get you to purchase something else? They can run all kinds of beta tests on, does this kind of inducement, does putting this result higher in the search? It's just, and of course they correlate it with, what are you putting on Alexa? What are you watching? How does that go together? I can tell you from a campaigns context where I, I'm, that's a little bit more of my own professional expertise, campaign managed elect, electoral campaigns are purchasing data sets that correlate together all of these seemingly unrelated pieces of information about what magazines you subscribe to, where you go on vacation, what kind of car you drive to try and build up a profile of what you're going to do. And these things are enormously predictive. It, it really reminds me of sort of, I'm a huge George Orwell fan and the dystopian fantasy of 50, 60 years ago was 1984. It was, what does a future totalitarian society run amok look like with visa screens in our homes and et cetera. But what we're almost veering on here is a dystopian capitalist reality where we've let all these things in willingly. We've, we've signed the, the waiver. We've agreed to all these things. I, I mean, it's, it, it's almost sort of a jaw-dropping amount of information that they control. Do they, do they use this information? Do they, are, is Amazon actively using this information to shape what we do to shape our consumer choices, to nudge us in, in various directions. Obviously their algorithm makes suggestions for what you watch on Prime. H how much are they using this stuff? Yes, I think, you know, I think what you're describing is something that scholars have called um, surveillance capitalism. You know, you know, the idea that, you know, these data commodities are, are gonna shape how business works. And, you know, and I think sometimes people feel, oh, well, you know, if things get personalized for me, that's convenient. You know, I'll just get more of what I want. But I think that it 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 tends to underplay the way in which it's not just, you know, anticipating what you will want, but kind of, yes, nudging you in particular ways. And so, you know, the 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 search algorithm, for example, on Amazon's e-commerce site is something that I think for a long, I think there's a lot of trust that people built up with Amazon for a long time. I mean, it's actually one of um, the most trusted institutions in America, if you can believe it, you know, like ahead of the government, you know, and, and just behind the military. And for a long time, those search on Amazon were just trying to match the best, you know, like, oh, if, if you search for this, this product seems like the best match. But starting in 2012, you know, they start, they did start to um, allow more advertising considerations to enter into that search algorithm. And so now, um, you know, there's a couple things going on. I mean, first of all, you see a lot more sponsored, you know, results when you search sponsored brands, sponsored products. Amazon's choice is this category that seems to be like this shortcut that you can use if you're like, oh, there's so many things I don't know what to choose. And there's a lot of concern and, and I think some credible reporting that suggests that there's a quite a bit of self, there may be some self-preferencing that's happening where Amazon is steering us towards, you know, products 
you know, third party sellers that have signed up for Prime, which of course, you know, is a huge money maker for, for Amazon, who are, you know, third parties who are spending a lot of money on Amazon, you know, on advertising or various other services that you can, you know, pay Amazon marketing services or to Amazon's own products. And Amazon, of course, is a platform for lots of sellers, but it's also its own retailer. It develops its own products. So, you know, I think that that's just one example within um, product search where, you know, I think all this trust has been built up. We just have a sense that Amazon wants the best outcome for us. It says it's, you know, its priority is customer obsession. And, and I think that's true in a lot of ways. But what are the forces that are skewing that now in, in terms of those nudges? And I think the biggest overall nudge is Amazon wants to be with us as much as possible all the time. So you could think of the Prime membership as the biggest nudge of all. Don't just shop with us, watch TV with us, you know, listen to music, play games on Twitch, you know, do your photo storage with us. And every single thing that you do, we can collect more data about, which allows us to sell more products and uh, more digital advertising that's targeted or develop our own products and services based on what we know about you. It really reminds me of the basic setup of a casino where they don't care what game you play. As long as you keep staying in the casino, they just want you to keep playing. And, it, you know, it's funny, after you and I uh, agreed to do this interview, literally that, that night, I was sitting watching something with my wife and we have an Amazon Fire Stick. I can only presume that this is why this happened. And we're watching a show and a commercial comes up. It's an ad for Planners Peanuts. I don't like peanuts. I don't, you know, nothing against the good folks at Planners. And this little letterbox comes up, bottom of the screen. It suggests, it's a nudge. It suggests, say, Alexa, add Planters Peanuts to my shopping list. And once I noticed it, I, you know, it's you, you can't, you can't miss it. And it seems like one of these casino things where like heads they win. They're either selling you some more of their stuff, or they're getting a. It's an incentive for people who advertise through them because this is something else they can give. They can give us one of these nudges, which behavioral economists have shown. Like I'm thinking of Richard Thaler here. These things are incredibly powerful. They really get into our brains. They really affect our behavior. And Amazon's controlling all of this. Let me ask you a quick question before we take a break. I was pondering this. Let's say I went to work for Amazon. Would it be possible, kind of like the guy who made that documentary a few years ago, Supersize Me, he tried to eat nothing but McDonald's. Would it be possible for me to live my entire life inside the Amazon ecosystem? Everything I watch, consume, eat, and all my sources of income it could could I could I live an entirely Amazon lifestyle these days? That's a good question. I'd have to think through, you know, all the products and services we use. But I, it's a great premise for uh, Morgan Spurlock's next documentary. I, I hope he uh, listens to your idea. Or Dr. Emily West's side along documentary to go with your forthcoming book coming not long from now. It's called Buy Now: How Amazon Branded Convenience and Normalized Monopoly. They've branded convenience by making it just so easy to live inside planet Amazon. That's almost what we inhabit these days. Everything we think about, everything you know, is picked up by Alexa, everything we buy, it's in the algorithms through Amazon's marketplace. It's shipped to us on Amazon-owned shippers. They don't use UPS and FedEx anymore. We are sort of living, well, for the most part, we, we're sort of living inside the world that Amazon is making. We were talking a moment ago about the way Amazon shapes and nudges our decisions, also about Amazon's 
ubiquity. The fact that it's it's everywhere, and there's growing realization that they have access to so much information about us, so much data about us, and so much market power through their marketplace for all kinds of products and services. And that's brought its share of regulatory scrutiny. What is that looking like? What is the concern that governments are beginning to express about Amazon? And are they focused on the right things? Yes, it's it's come perhaps later than some people think it should have, but we've certainly seen developments probably earlier in Europe, you know, regulatory scrutiny of Amazon, but over the past year or so, certainly with Amazon itself. I think one of the big insights here is the distinctive nature of platform power. You know, it's not just the, a question of a business that's big, you know, I mean, Amazon is big. I mean, it, it, it for various estimates say it has about half, it controls about half of e-commerce in the United States, which is definitely getting into monopoly territory. Its next biggest competitor is at like 5%. So it basically doesn't have, you know, a major competitor there. In particular markets like smart speakers or eBooks, it's sort of off the charts, you know, you know, controlling that market. There's other markets it, it's in that it doesn't control as much, but it's not really just a question of what percentage of a given market that Amazon controls, but it's distinctive position as a platform where it's providing basically the, the ground upon which a certain business is happening. So, you know, where, you know, it, it, it has, you know, there's 147 million prime households in the United States. So if you want to sell products online in the United States, you kind of have to go to Amazon if it's got 50% of the e-commerce market and that many million prime households. And so, you know, when you are yourself sort of the structure of the marketplace, what are the distinctive advantages that you then have? And the argument is that, you know, and I'll stick with Amazon, but it applies to some of the other tech giants as well, is that it's becoming you know, these companies are becoming part of the infrastructure of society and the economy to a real extent. And so then does it make sense if essentially if you want to sell books, for example, you really have to do yourself, you know, you have to be a presence on Amazon, you have to be, you know, paying marketing dollars on Amazon to get your book in front of readers, but Amazon also then publishes books. You know, it's competing against its own clients and it's setting rules and standards. You know, I mean, I think you know, not just because of the size of Amazon, but again, because of its na the nature of it as a platform, it's really moving into what we might consider more governance than just doing business. So, you know, it, it's interesting to think about how um, under pressure, certainly from activists and politicians, it went to a $15 minimum wage, you know, um, a couple years ago. Well, that has set kind of a standard now for that kind of employment, which may or may not actually be good because apparently the median pay for warehouse work is actually more than $15 an hour. You know, it's, it's set a standard industry-wide essentially for delivery times. And it's set, you know, and it, it extracts, you know, in our more local and state governments, a lot of subsidies and special considerations in order to move into those communities to set up fulfillment centers, you know, and in a way that's not always very transparent to, to voters and citizens. So I think that these are some of the reasons why, you know, regulators and lawmakers need to think differently about the power of platforms like Amazon. Yeah, you know, you're bringing up just a really fascinating point. And I'm going to kind of pick at it a little bit by bringing up 
a really dull point, which is antitrust policy. I can assure you and I'm, I, I, that our listeners are beginning to go to sleep with the idea of let's talk about antitrust. It's not interesting. I actually spent my first two years out of college at an economic consulting firm. All we did was antitrust analysis. There's a way to do it. You, you alluded to market share. You look at, well, what's the market? What's the product you're selling? And how much share? And then you, there's a mathematical formula. This is actually how the Federal Trade Commission and the Department of Justice looks at these things. They, they run things with the formula and then they have an argument about, do you have too much market power or not? The point is you're arguing governments, regulators, they need to think differently about the consequences of Amazon's market power because the traditional way to think about it is this super boring antitrust thing. You're looking at things like, can they raise prices? Can they hurt consumers in direct measurable ways that are that are very economic? They're, they're very practical, hands-on. Does it cost other businesses? Does it cost consumers? What you're raising is a specter of something that's a lot deeper and I think a lot more concerning, which is the amount of power they have, not so much over markets, but over us as individuals and ourselves collectively, societally, through our governments, that they wield a tremendous amount of influence. We were talking before the break about the nudges, the little psychological cues they can apply inside our brains. But then also, it sounds like what you're arguing is, look, they can really call the shots in all kinds of subtle ways, in addition to obvious ways, when it comes to local governance, state governance, even some of our federal policies like the minimum wage. I mean, is that the aspect of Amazon's power that, I mean, you're literally writing the book on them that concerns you the most? I think there are just so many areas, you know, it, it, it's it, kind of like we started at the beginning, like where to start, you know, because I think actually the price thing, if if I come back to that for a moment, is kind of complicated because at, you're right, like it's been, you know, antitrust has been kind of got blinders on like, okay, our, our consumers paying too much, you know, but Amazon has been, is well known for doing a lot of predatory pricing or otherwise known as loss leading, where it actually keeps prices low for a really long time so that it can gain so much market share that it kind of crushes the competition and has so much market advantage and network effects, you know, that it's very hard for competitors, you know, to then thrive. So that means, you know, sometimes short-term pricing considerations actually are hurting a competitive marketplace in a longer term. And, you know, I think there's a way in which if we come back to the nudge idea, you know, once you are a prime member and you have so many habits formed, like say you do just order things by voice on Alexa and you just, you know, do subscribe and save for lots of products, you know, that automatically come every month. And you just, if you need something, you go, you know, on your phone and, you know, you can only see a few things on your phone screen and, you know, you'll get one of the top ones or Amazon's choice and you'll pick it. You know, I think that puts Amazon in a situation where, you know, people aren't going to be so price sensitive anymore. They've already paid $120 to be prime members. And so if it's good enough, or if it seems like a, an okay price, you, you know, you may then continue to stay within, you know, this, you know, ecosystem or pleasure garden that, you know, Amazon has provided. That certainly sounds a lot better than ecosystem. Well, yeah, I actually, I, I have a bit of a beef with Amazon and actually a lot of these other tech giants who appropriate these, you know, metaphors from nature to describe what they are, you know, I mean, they're, 
they're not an ecosystem, you know, that, you know, this is a term we get from biology, but they, you know, they like to take on the halo um, of, a, of something so natural and stable and permanent and nurturing as what they provide. But yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's not a walled garden like AOL was, where you have to stay inside it to access different internet services. But I think Amazon provides a kind of pleasure garden that, you know, it, it, it's a service brand. It kind of, it, it's very personalized. We perhaps feel very seen and cared for in all the ways that Amazon, it, you know, sees us, right? It listens to us on Alexa. It sees our choices. It feeds back to us. We can see ourselves and perhaps even our needs or interests reflected back to us by Amazon. Why leave? You know, so my concern is about, you know, certainly Amazon's market dominance, the ways in which that can move even into issues of governance where there's not a lot of accountability for a corporation, but also are we being lulled into a sense of like, of being like a served self? Like it's so easy, you know, it's so easy. So easy. And, and, and what does that make prevent us from thinking about and looking at? At the risk of asking you what nowadays shouldn't be a personal question, but maybe it is, are you Dr. Emily West, a prime member? Yes, I'm, I'm open about this in the book, by the way, you know, and I, I use the, you know, we a lot in the book to show that I'm not like separate from, you know, the millions of Amazon users and consumers out there. You know, I think realizing how over a period of years I had, be, you know, more and more of my spending had gone to Amazon and I'd be, it had infiltrated, you know, more of more, more of my life was something that I think helped me be motivated to write this book and, and, and to think about it. And so, you know, I'm really interested in that we should try and move beyond feeling lulled and try to notice more about how, I guess, how tangled up we are with Amazon and, and try to understand more about what the impacts of that are. But I really believe that that's something, of course, it's good to be an ethical consumer and to reflect on your own individual spending and impacts. But we should also think about what is a collective consumer response to this look like? You know, I mean, the, the, the most impactful and kind of noticeable demands that Amazon be accountable or be transparent about what it does behind the scenes, that's really come from workers. You know, workers are organized, even if they're not unionized in the United States, some of them are you know, working towards unionization or they, they have organizations, they're, they're, they're working in a collective way. And I think we don't see that as much from consumers. I think there's plenty of people who've like, you know, canceled their prime membership or cut the Amazon cord, but, you know, I'm not sure that how realistic that's going to be as a response for individuals to be doing that in a fragmented way. What would it mean to kind of collect together as Amazon consumers, even though, we're all very fragmented and separate from each other, you know, buying things in our individual homes. Well, it sounds like what you're calling for here is at the very least uh, transparency, an understanding on our own part of what we're getting into when we sign up for Prime and we avail ourselves of government services. You know, I was re referring earlier to the, in many ways, Amazon feels a little bit like a dystopian fantasy of capitalism run amok. It's sort of the apotheosis of here's where you end up, where you have one entity with this much reach, breadth, and power, and I should say depth, kind of tunneling into our governments, our lives, our, our commerce, and our brains. And in many ways, you were saying before that they have some powers that we think of as being reserved to governments. And 
the difference in a democracy is supposed to be, look, governments govern with the consent of the governed. At the very least, we should have our consent if Amazon is doing all these things, we should at least know what we're talking about. Lest we seem cranky though, I should point out that I also am a Prime member. Our household orders way too much on Prime as compared to what I'd like. I, like many people, I think read the, the articles about conditions at Amazon warehouses with a fair amount of guilt. I know that this is not exactly a, a spotless corporate record, but I do think it's worth hitting on Aren't there some upsides from everything Amazon has accomplished? For example, don't they exert some downward pressure on prices? Don't they exert some upward pressure on our consumer expectations of selection of, of what we should be able to get? Speed of logistics. Haven't other companies had to really catch up and give much better service much faster? Are we getting... Are we getting a, a sufficient upside dividend in America out of all the things that Amazon is giving us? Yeah, Amazon, you know, it's it's prime directive, you know, is is customer obsession and 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 you know our pleasure and, and our convenience and enjoyment. And it's absolutely delivered on that, you know, but to a point where you know, we thought of the internet as this sort of place where, you know, that would embrace, you know, it would have, it would be easy to enter a market, it would be easy to have a startup to, to you know, offer a new service. And I think, you know, not just Am with Amazon, but with all the tech giants, we've seen kind of this rapid consolidation that can actually maybe reduce that sense of competition and entrepreneurialism and a place for new ideas. And I think, you know, so that's one consideration is that, you know, we might not be getting actually the vibrant, competitive, low barriers to entry internet business marketplace that we had originally wanted or had actually for a while. So I think, you know, we're still kind of, I think reaping the results or, or we haven't seen the sort of the final outcome of this truly consolidated, you know, internet marketplace, but that could be where we're headed. So I think that's something important for us to consider. And also, you know, I mean, let's come back to this, you know, yes, we want things fast and, you know, and that's set this, a higher standard for all, you know, shippers and, and, and e-commerce retailers to get us things more quickly. But, you know, where, where where's the accountability going to be to make sure that people, for example, could spend a career in an Amazon fulfillment center? You know, you know, because right now, you know, from all the reporting that we have, it seems like that might just not be sustainable. You know, for people's actual bodies, and you know, and there's a psychological impact too. I think of how isolated and repetitive that work can be, or make sure that you know, you know, the pressure on these delivery um, workers because the the amount of packages they've been they're they've been required to deliver has been ratcheted up so much. And in the holidays, it's off the chart. Make sure that that's not, again, in like an inhuman, unfair working condition for them that also makes our communities more dangerous. So I think, you know, I think it, I wouldn't say like, oh, well, we don't want e-commerce or we don't want good customer service, but like what is being wrought in our name as consumers? Like, and, you know, like our low prices and fast delivery, you know, is it whatever it takes to produce those things? So who is in the position to say, well, this is as much benefit as we can provide, but we, we won't do so with these harms, be they, they, be they environmental harms, harms against workers, 
or, you know, broader social justice kinds of harms in terms of like diverting tax dollars that would have supported the community to a corporate subsidy, you know? So I think it's about, it's back to that transparency thing that you said, like, do, can we really see enough and understand enough to have made a collective decision about society of how we weigh these benefit and harms? Or do we want to just, you know, trust Amazon? Because I think Amazon does ask us to trust them in all kinds of ways. They've asked us to trust them to listen you know, to listen to us in our homes on Alexa and to trust us with all the data that we share with them and to make these decisions about benefit versus possible harms. You raised earlier the idea that in many ways, Amazon has become part of the infrastructure of America. It's it's just, you said literally kind of receding into the woodwork. It's kind of part of the edifice of, of what we do at this point. Thinking about it from that standpoint and the standpoint of transparency. So let's say everyone goes out and buys your book on Amazon because they have a sense of humor. And let's say they say, you know what, now I really get it. And I am troubled about the implications of this behemoth with so many hooks and tentacles into who we are and everything we do. And I don't like it. I don't like that cost benefit and and what we're getting in the bargain. Is there anything we can actually do or is it too far gone? Are they truly, is Amazon truly part of the infrastructure at this point? Well, there's legislation right now, you know, in the U.S. Congress that would impact Amazon. So for example, you know, there've been, you know, a lot of the mergers or, or I should say not mergers, acquisitions that Amazon has done in recent years, you know, they just went so smoothly and there wasn't a lot of, you know, overwhelming public input and there wasn't a lot of questioning and there was a sense of like, what does it matter if Amazon buys Whole Foods market? You know what I mean? There's plenty of other supermarkets and um, not really thinking through like how Whole Foods would be this tremendously strategic acquisition for Amazon. So that would just be one example or more scrutiny on self-preferencing, which is this thing where Amazon uses the data, you know, intelligence it gets from people's purchases to then actually, you know, outcompete the third-party sellers on its platform or put, you know, into place fees for those competitors that are just going to cut into their profits so much that, you know, they're never going to get that far. So I think, I, I think there's a lot of room for citizens to become more engaged in these moments where, where there might be legislation that's sort of common sense legislation around just putting reasonable guidelines around platforms so that they, they don't just get bigger and bigger and put more and more pressure on, you know, other kinds of businesses and their competitors and, and to produce essentially a more free, fair marketplace, which is not going to happen naturally. You know, it's only ever happened because of certain kinds of law and regulation. So if you think back to the net neutrality debate of a few years ago, I mean, that seemed like it was going to be the wonkiest, most boring thing. People got really involved and engaged with that. And I think still really care about those issues. And if you think about it, there's some similar ideas there, you know, like, should these telecom companies actually be common carriers that need to, you know, treat all content and all um, clients equally, because this is how people access information. You know, we could ask those similar kinds of questions about a company like Amazon that has become so infrastructural. Well, I do think it also points out just purely from a government and regulatory standpoint, a phrase that you used earlier, actually, maybe even unconsciously, you use the Apple slogan. You suggested that people need to think differently 
about how they regulate in this space. And maybe the focus on the traditional antitrust, boring, putting people to sleep again by even mentioning it type of view on, on how we regulate entities like this needs to change. And we need to update it for the 21st century and think more about data, personal information, how things are put together, how companies can apply psychological nudges. How much room are we giving over to companies in our brains? What about adolescents? What about people who are under age 18 who may have their choices influenced? We're worried about that when it comes to pure social media. What about on the consumer side? So I, I do think that there are questions and maybe the law and the regulatory framework doesn't exist today and maybe it needs to. Let me wind down with one more kind of lightning round question for you. We've both come clean about the fact that we're Amazon Prime members. So you know a lot about the consumer experience of engaging with Amazon, but you are also the expert on all of these things that Amazon does. Do you have any practical tips for people who are engaging with Amazon? Maybe they're Prime members, maybe they have an Alexa, maybe they're considering buying an Alexa about things people can do to be a little bit more aware or maybe to make some smarter choices about what power they hand over to Amazon in their own personal lives. Well, I'll, I'll mention a couple. One is to remember to comparison shop. I think we've gotten out of that habit a little bit. And by that, I mean, you're not just looking, comparing across products within Amazon, but you remember that there's other you know, ways to shop. You can go to a store and there's other e-commerce companies. To think through maybe the the Prime membership and, and realize you know, that's $120. Like, have you really gotten that value back with um, all these other things? And consider also, you know, the various privacy agreements. You might want to actually read those because, you know, there are some things going on behind the scenes that you might not have thought about. This is Beyond Politics. I'm Matt Robeson, and that's been Dr. Emily West, the author of a fascinating upcoming book that I'm looking forward to buying on Amazon. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you so much. It was great to be here. 